welcome to the podcast, Amazing Tales from Off and On Connecticut's Beaten Path. I'm your host, Mike Allen. Maybe you've heard the rumor that John F. Kennedy didn't wear a hat to his inauguration back in 1961, and with that, the hatting industry entered its death spiral. You don't have to look too far, thankfully, to find an expert to discuss the topic and set the record straight. Bill Devlin has written extensively on the hat capital of the world, Danbury, Connecticut, and in fact, the title of one of his books is We Crowned Them All. So, did JFK do it? Did he do it on purpose? Did he have help? Next up, did JFK kill the hatting industry? I hate to date myself, but I've been around long enough to remember the JFK assassination in 1963. In fact, over time, I became quite a student of that day in Dealey Plaza in Dallas. I've gone so far as to become a part owner of a copy of the Zapruder film. That was the home movie made by Abraham Zapruder that showed the awful shooting. Well, today, we're not here to talk about who killed JFK, although we may do that in a later episode. Instead, we want to talk about JFK's role in killing the hatting industry. Now, I, for one, have heard that line for years. JFK didn't wear a top hat to his inauguration, and thus began the beginning of the end of wearing hats as formal wear by men. Bill Devlin is an expert on the hatty industry. He's author of the book We Crowd Them All, a story of the hat capital of the world in its day, Danbury, Connecticut. Well, so before we put the key question to him about JFK's role in all this, I wanted to speak with him about the 1800s. That was a time when a hat was a must for any self-respecting male. Men would buy like four hats a year. And uh, it was just considered normal, um, you know, part of dress. And um, you weren't properly dressed until you had a hat on. And uh, if you didn't have a hat, you know, you weren't supposed to wear a hat indoors. There's, you know, there's a lot of kind of rituals about it. You know, when you think about Danbury's hattie industry and how it had exploded in the 19th century and was doing great in the early 20th century, what did it look like in the uh, late 1950s and early 1960s coming into the JFK inauguration? Not great. Uh, Some of the bigger, bigger companies had folded. Well, that does seem to be clue number one, that the hattie industry had a lot of trouble long before JFK ever got into office. Well, there's another clue here. If you take a look at JFK's contemporaries in the political world. Have you ever seen a picture of Richard Nixon wearing a hat? Yeah, that's a good point. No, I I don't think I ever did. So, you know, the point here is that the generation... um, of John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon was the one that stopped kind of wearing hats uh, all the time. And the reasons are partly related to fashion, what college guys thought was cool, and partly, in the case of JFK, were personal because he thought he had a big head and that hats didn't make him look good. Okay, so JFK had a big head and Richard Nixon had a bit of an odd-looking nose. That's not enough to kill the hattie industry, is it? Well, maybe it is. After all, in those days, people paid attention to what the President of the United States did and wore. A lot of the uh, hat companies had traditionally depended on the presidents to kind of showcase the new styles of hats or the fact that they were still wearing hats. There was actually a lobbying, sort of a lobbying organization called the Hat Institute, 
which was basically trying to uh, combat the plague of hatlessness. That's what they called it. And that goes back to the 1930s. In fact, it wasn't even below representatives of Danbury's Lee Hatting Company to give the president one of their chapeaus in order to get it into a photo op. There's a nice picture of Truman where he's holding up a hat and he's holding it with the label side towards the photographer so you can see that it's a Lee hat. <laughs> this was free advertising. But clearly the change was already long underway, long before JFK stood on those Capitol steps to take the oath of office. Nixon wasn't wearing hats, and in fact, Kennedy's predecessor, President and General Dwight D. Eisenhower, was the one who actually broke the string. He did not wear a top hat at his inauguration. In fact, a lot of observers say hats started going by the wayside around about World War II. Bill and I didn't have to go too far to see this trend ourselves. We saw it in our own homes. I know my dad always had an overcoat and a scarf and a hat, but he didn't buy four a year. He bought one, and that did for like 40 years. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I have the same memory of my uh, my dad's closet with a bunch of hats at the top, but like you said, only bought one a year, if that. So let's uh, move on to the presidential angle on this now. The point here is that uh, Eisenhower actually was the guy who first did not wear a top hat to his inauguration because he wore a different style of hat, and that Kennedy was bringing it back after, as you uh, mentioned, uh, sort of the lobbying campaign for him to do so. Yeah, uh, and, and JFK was actually cognizant of, of the fact that he was helping out to do the hat industry, specifically in Danbury, but also the hat industry in general, by, you know, accepting hats and um, keeping them with him, even though, again, like he didn't like to wear them. So I'm still left wondering why JFK got all the blame. And maybe it's just as simple as that very famous speech he gave that inauguration day. There are photos where, you know, where he gets up, and he makes the famous, ask not what your country can do for you, but rather what you can do for your country, his inauguration speech. He took his top hat off to make that speech. And that's the photo that everybody sees because everybody replays that quote. So you see the video uh, on TV. But if you look at the still photos, uh, you'll see that right behind him were, were seated his vice president, Lyndon Johnson, Richard Nixon, who ran against him, and both of them have top hats in their laps, whereas other people in the crowd are wearing the top hats on their heads. So it was very interesting to your point of, have you ever seen Richard Nixon in a top hat? And the answer is still no. Again, they were contemporaries, Nixon and Kennedy. They were about the same age, and so they went to college around the same time. It's like being, you know, growing up in the 60s or 70s or whatever. You uh, relate to, to the items that you knew then. The thing with, with Kennedy at the inauguration is he kept taking the hat on and off. And uh, he wasn't wearing it the whole time. So in a way, he was kind of um, not fulfilling that role of being a fashion icon for the men's hat industry. Okay, so do we have enough evidence now to blame JFK for the ruination of the hattie industry? Well, it's time for you to put on your seatbelt because I think you're going to be in for quite a surprise. You see, what really killed the hatty industry and a couple of other industries that were related to it was none other than the automobile. Bill says there was a major research paper done by a key player in the Danbury hatting industry named Bob Doran that showed that being enclosed in a car changed the landscape in a lot of ways. 
and there was a decline everywhere in things like overcoats, scarves, galoshes, all that kind of stuff. All those fashion accessories kind of um, became much less important for a man to feel well, you know, he was fully dressed. Uh, I was glad to uh, see that you brought up the automobile as an issue. I had read somewhere that it was also the headroom space inside the car didn't uh, accommodate, yeah, the top hat versus like streetcars and uh, trains. Yeah, the thing that ended the derby, which was a, kind of a hard, a rounded hat, was was, in clo- was cars because you get in there and it knocks, it knocks it off your head. That's one of the reasons why the fedora became popular because it's softer. You can you know, really fit it down on your head and it won't fall off. So between enclosed driving and the changes in the way people looked at fashion, the hat was on its way out, kind of like ties in today's world. They tried to stop it, movers and shakers in the hatting world, but the long-term dominance of Danbury as the hat capital of the world started to fade. And what was left of the industry was then concentrated out west with companies like the Stetson Hat Company leading the way. Their main operation was in um, St. Joseph, Missouri, you know, which is kind of the gateway to the West. Danbury factory would make hat bodies for them and then send them out, you know, send them out there to get finished off. And there were fads that kept the industry alive for a while. Uh, When the movie Urban Cowboy came out in the 1970s, there was a big fad for for Stetson hats, you know, cowboy hats. Uh, And then when the Raiders of the Lost Ark came out, uh, there's a big run on fedoras because of uh, Harrison Ford and uh, Indiana Jones wearing a fedora. The last Ambery hat factory shut down in 1987. I guess you could say it got to the point where there was nothing much left to hang your hat on anymore. In fact, it got so desperate that Danbury even contemplated a really desperate measure. There was a suggestion that there'd be a bell erected somewhere in Danbury, in downtown Danbury, so that somebody came by wearing a hat, not wearing a hat, or wearing the wrong season of hat, like wearing a straw hat outside of summertime, that this bell would go off, this gong would go off, and the guy could be publicly shamed. (laughs) Believe it or not, that was a serious suggestion. So in wrapping this all up with Bill, it seems that JFK didn't kill the hatting industry after all. In fact, he dutifully wore that top hat to his inauguration, even though he hated it. And now all I know about top hats is what I've seen from the past. You know, you see a photo of Abraham Lincoln or a magician or the Monopoly game, and, you know, it's almost like with the drop of a hat, it became old hat. <laughs> yes. I like hats, personally. I, I think hats are cool, but uh, and I have, I have several, but, you know, I've worn them and I still wear them. I enjoy them. Well, I'd expect nothing less from the author of We Crown Them All. up this episode of Amazing Tales from off and on Connecticut's beaten path. I'd like to give a tip of my hat to Bill Devlin for his great insights and for sharing his knowledge on the hatting industry as always. Thanks to you for listening. Please tell your friends about this podcast. Send them the link and show them how to sign up to follow the podcast. 
Also, if you're in a group that hears from guest speakers, well, drop me a line. I do in-person and Zoom presentations on the topics you hear in these episodes. I'd be happy to discuss an appearance at your group, and all you have to do is email me at amazingtalesct at gmail.com. That's amazingtales, the letter C, the letter T, amazingtalesct at gmail.com. Amazing Tales from Off and On Connecticut's Beaten Path is a production of True North Associates, LLC. This is Mike Allen. Be safe and stay healthy. (laughs) 